Welcome to The Lawyer's Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Stephanie Everett, and this is episode 266 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, the two of us are going to discuss financial KPIs, the numbers you need to know in order to understand the health of your firm. If today's podcast resonates with you and you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, you can get your first chapter right now for free at lawyers.com slash book. Today's podcast is brought to you by Lex Reception, Back Office Betty's, Rankings.io, and Text Expander. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. So, Stephanie, congratulations on being named one of the ABA's Women of Legal Tech for 2020. Yes, thank you, Sam. I am quite honored, and yeah, it's still pretty unexpected. <laughs> like, really? Okay, cool. Me? I mean, I know you don't think of yourself as a very tech-savvy person, but you are, A, and B, there's more to being an innovator than just like being able to operate something well. So um, it's really cool and well-deserved, super well-deserved. So Yes, thank you. It's a amazing list of women, and I'm super excited to be a part of it. It's kind of had me reflecting on my own tech journey, because you're right, I would have never called myself or thought of myself as a a tech savvy person, mm-hmm. but I think it, it comes to show how easy it is and how it doesn't have to be a hard process. If you're sitting here listening to this thinking, I would never be eligible for that award. It's not hard to turn the corner and take a few small steps to getting where you need to be. Well, and I mean, looking at the recipients over time, like this is much more about um, women, people who are using um, technology to be innovative, not who are operating software. And I think that gets confused a lot. You know, like somebody who's really good at operating software isn't necessarily the kind of person who ought to wind up in the ABA's Women of Legal Tech. (laughs) You know, somebody who is guiding innovation using technology tools is, and that's who you are. So, Yeah. I mean, in today's world, it just seems so easy. Like if you really want to provide better services to your clients and and do cool things with your business, why wouldn't you embrace the tools that are available to you that can make your job easier and faster and cheaper? For sure. I think we're going to leave our intro there today because you and I are going to have a much longer conversation in which my voice will be a little less husky. So we'll have a brief sponsored conversation with Bree from Lex Reception and then my conversation with Stephanie. Hi, I'm Bree with Lex Reception. Hi, Bree. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a little while, but it's good to talk to you. You too, always. So by the time our listeners are hearing this, you and I will have gotten a chance to hang out at Tech Show in Chicago and see all the shiny new things that everyone is talking about announcing, um, hopefully have a drink or two together, and uh, and then we'll be back and we'll be exhausted um, and we'll probably be recuperating while everyone's listening to this. But we know what we're going to see there. We're going to see a ton of software and technology designed to help lawyers practice better. And one of the things that I experience every year at Tech Show is the frustration of like, yeah, there are all these great tools, but it all starts with fundamentals at the front end, mm-hmm. making sure that every phone call gets answered and that every potential client gets a call scheduled. That's where the streamlining has to start before you start getting distracted by shiny things. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about making sure that that happens so that you can get the most out of all the shiny things at Tech Show. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I am excited to see you. We get on an airplane on, on Wednesday and they're calling for some kind of crazy weather. So <laughs> a foot of snow, I think so. Um, but yeah, I, I love tech show. I love just being in that environment where everyone's looking to innovate. Everyone's looking to streamline. Um, and that's all really, really important to do. You want to have a CRM, you want to have, um, these different kind of pieces talking to each other. But like you said, Sam, at the core fundamental level, you have to have someone answering your phone Mm -hmm. and booking the appointment to make those wheels start to turn. That's what I'm excited about is just to see kind of the new stuff that's coming out for the legal tech space um, and just be able to be, be really creative there. Yeah, for sure. So when, when it comes to making sure that that happens, when it comes to making sure that every potential client who is qualified at least gets scheduled, um, do you have some recommendations for how lawyers can make sure that that happens? I mean, have someone answer your calls always and 24 hours a day, because especially with, you know, PI, criminal, there's there's things that always happen naturally off the clock, so to speak. So you need to have somebody answering the calls and answering service like Lex is obviously a good solution or a receptionist. And then when they get the call, the trick is and the key is have the appointment calendar pulled up so you can schedule the consultation. You don't want to have to call them back and play phone tag. So or trust them to click on a link in an email or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. So um, we work with a few. We have one um, called Setmore that that's our um, developed product that's on the market. Um, a lot of attorneys that we have as clients use Calendly. I know that Clio just came out with a, a booking link option. So there are many options we can use, but we have to schedule for you. Yeah. I think a scheduler is a game changer. Complete game changer. Just being able to give people access to your calendar in a way that that you define and where you want to make yourself available it's such a game changer and it's really what impa- enables you to actually hire a virtual receptionist or let clients put themselves on your calendar. Um, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, and it's just handy to not have to be on the phone or go back and forth with a bunch of emails. Like there's a link that's updated and you look at your calendar and things just magically appear Yeah. <laughs> and you show up. So it's really handy for, for the attorneys, especially for the first consultation, just circling back to Number one tip, have someone answer your calls 24 hours a day and then make sure that they have that booking link at their fingertips so they can get everything done in kind of a one call resolution. I I feel like if somebody gets into your office, um, that's half of the job of making sure that they become a client done. So that is a win right there. Part of it. So yeah, the, and we, we can help with it. So yeah, I, um, I'm excited again to see you in a couple of days at tech show and, and talk about this in person and, you know, kind of look at some new solutions out there for sure. So if you want to learn more about, um, appointment scheduling with Lex reception and, uh, check out their beautiful, shiny new website, go to lexreception.com to learn more. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Bree. Hey everybody, it's Stephanie, and today I'm joining Sam, I guess, as the guest on the show instead of the host. <laughs> so let's call it a co- co-hosting situation. I don't know. Yeah, we're gonna riff for a bit. We're gonna talk about some things. <laughs> we've been uh, we've been doing something that we can't tell you about yet. 
Um, but by the time this episode is released, it may be something that we're talking about. So um, I'm going to just set that aside, but it involves financial KPIs. And we've talked about KPIs on the website before, on the podcast before, but we want to make it easy for you in the way that we do in our book, The Small Firm Roadmap, and talk about the five numbers that we think, if you aren't tracking anything, you should be tracking these for finances, right? Yeah. So just to get everyone on the same page, because I still, you know, get this question and it's fair. What is a KPI? Mm. So that's just the abbreviation for key performance indicator. And it's really just those numbers that we want to be paying attention to as business owners to understand the health of our of our business. Mm-hmm. And the, the goal, the reason is so that so that you can say things like, you know, can I hire somebody or should, is it a good time to buy new computers for everyone? Or um, should I take a profit distribution this month? It's, if you don't know what your numbers are, it's hard to know. And also to forecast, like, is my firm going to die next month? <laughs> yeah, that's good to know. I mean, a lot of times the dashboard to your car analogy is used and it's a great one. I mean, we are trained now without even really thinking about it. We look down at our dashboard every day if you're driving mm-hmm. and you know if your car is running low on gas and you need a plan to make a stop to get more gas or you know when your next oil change is probably coming up or, you know, all these things that you don't even think about anymore. They just, they automatically signal something and then you know when you need to act or how you need to act. You know, I've never actually thought about the the word behind the metaphor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but of course you're right. Your dashboard of your car is why we call things dashboards and it's everything that you need to know. Yeah. yeah. And you've just been trained over time to understand, more importantly, not just the information, but what levers you need to pull to make changes in your car. So you know if if you're going 80 miles per hour and you see a cop up ahead, <laughs> that you need to back off <laughs> the accelerator, maybe pump the brakes if you want to not be speeding when you pass him. So it's it's not just the information. It's now how do you make changes? And if we think about our business mm-hmm. Our financial documents, you know, the KPIs that we're going to be talking about are key because it not just tells us how we're doing, but like you said, it tells us how to anticipate changes and what levers we need to pull so that we can really make decisions about our business based on real data and not just our gut. I mean, one of the things that we talk about at Lawyerist for our for our own KPIs is, is this actually actionable? You know, like right now we are sort of debating one of our numbers. Is this actually something that we can do something about or... Should we just not track this because it's not something that we can affect change on? And it doesn't actually help us forecast anything. Exactly. So we talk about leading. That's where you hear the term, you, and people might have heard this, you know, those leading indicators. So you might be looking at, for example, your profit, and that's something you should know and understand. But knowing your profit for January might not tell you if you're going to hit a speed bump in March. But maybe knowing how many people have booked a consultation with you, if you understand, you know, so that's really kind of getting into another area that we're not going to cover today. But to, but to understand how all these things start working together, you know, there might be some marketing KPIs, which we also talk about in the book that you might pay attention to that will tell you something about your finances, the more you can look further down the road and say, ah, this is this could signal trouble one day, if we don't do something about it. Those are the kind of things you might want to include. So, uh, when I talked with Mary Jetton about this and when 
you know, when we've talked, she, she wrote a book on financial KPIs for law firms and, you know, she's got a spreadsheet that goes along with it that have like 75 KPIs or something in it, um, which is dizzying. So yes, <laughs> let's dial this back and let's start with five. Um, and so the first one, we, we, we mention all of these in the small firm roadmap. Um, so if you want more detail or you want a reminder, or you want the, the list in front of you, um, go and grab that. I think it's on page two or 302 or something like that. 311. You've got it in front of you. Awesome. <laughs> so um, the first one that we outline is profit percentage. What is, I mean, that maybe that's just super obvious, but maybe not. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at um, not just the amount of profit you're making, but what is that profit as a percentage of your revenue mm-hmm. or income or cash coming in, if you want to use real plain words. Um, a lot of folks... Um, might not know this number, or they might just be thinking, is there cash in the bank at the end of the month? I'm good. And you should understand actually how much profit you're making, what that percentage is, and be able to benchmark that against other firms, other businesses. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're if you're using profit first then, and you're doing all the accounts, then you just know what this is because you've got your profit account, um, which might be an, a really easy dummy proof way to do it. But Obviously, it should be positive because <laughs> if you aren't making profit, you don't have a healthy business, especially if you're not yet paying yourself a regular salary. So, so yeah, you jumped right to where I want it to go. So in lawyerist world, this becomes really important because this is going to be a departure from what most lawyers do. And especially if you're in an area where big firms are reporting profit per partner numbers, mm-hmm. know that they are probably not doing it the way I'm about to tell you <laughs> Which is that you should think about your own compensation as a partner for the work you're doing in your business. And so we always talk about, um, you know, owner's comp as sort of like two buckets of money. And I always tell people, I don't care if your CPA has set it up, whether that's W-2 wages or distributions and draws. I'm not trying to give you tax advice here. Mm -hmm. What I want you to do, though, is conceptually think about If you had to replace yourself in the work you do in your firm, if you had to hire another attorney to come in and do your job, how much would you pay that person? Yeah. When when we had Greg Trabtree on the podcast, we talked about this a bit too, and, and he explained, you know, look, what we're trying to do is tell the truth about your financial position. And you can't tell the truth about your financial position if you're discounting the cost of of your own work and your own labor. Right. And so the goal should be that you're paying yourself and anybody else who works in your firm, you know, the a market rate, that number should go into your expense, your total expense number, so that when you're looking at profit, which obviously, let's just make sure everyone's on the same page, you're looking at money coming in, minus expenses equals profit, right? Just real basic terms. But your owner's comp, the, the money you should pay yourself for the work you do in your firm should be included in that expense number. Along with spouses or children. Exactly. (laughs) I was about to say, we have a labster who um, heard this from me and was like, huh, you know what? I haven't been paying my wife for doing all the firm's marketing. And and she was doing a ton of stuff. I wonder how their marriage is doing. (laughs) 
Now that she knows he doesn't value her, her well, labor. no. Here's the beauty: is he started paying her. <laughs> yeah. He said, "Oh, we need to." Actually, you're right. We need to figure this out, and partly for the the thing you just really said so clearly to understand the truth about your business. Mm-hmm. Now that they started paying her, one, she deserves to be paid, and that's a good thing. Um, if there <laughs> becomes a time where she doesn't want to do that work for the firm, because. I get it. Look, first of all, I feel like a disclaimer here. Like I'm a spouse of a business owner who has done bookkeeping for my husband's business for the last three or four years without receiving any compensation for it. I mean, sometimes you do what you have to do to get your business going. And so I get it. Sometimes you can't afford to pay yourself, but this should be the goal. Now that he's able to pay his his wife this money, if there's ever a time where she doesn't want to do it, then the business knows it can afford to pay someone else to do it. And when the business can't afford to pay, do you make that look like a debt or? Well, you're testing my financial. (laughs) (laughs) My, My recollection of my conversation with Greg Crabtree is that he says, yes, you should make it look like a debt. Um, because it is, you know, what, what you would do if you were, you know, being, if you were really telling the truth is you would take out, you know, you would borrow that money to pay your salary because you have to, that's an expense you have to cover or the, the company ceases doing business. If it doesn't have your, your work, you know, you, you can decide how much debt to yourself is, is uh, is permissible before you just call it a failure, but um, I think you need to figure out a way to account for that in some way as as a debt because you do owe it to yourself. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense, and I wholeheartedly agree. So, do we know like what do we consider to be a healthy profit percentage? Yeah, so here's the key: if you're actually taking that owner's comp, you know, number market rate and putting it into your expenses, then ideally your target should be in the ten to fifteen percent range. Mm -hmm. That's why I made that big caveat too, is I see lots of published information from big firms where they're reporting, you know, 50 and 60% of profit percentages. And I'm like, that's because they're not paying a single partner anything. (laughs) Like they're not doing this exercise. (laughs) So, so it's really important to understand that this is what a typical business, you know, doing it the way we're saying would want it, would want to hit. And if it's higher than that, maybe, I guess maybe it's a signal that um, your firm wants to grow. But maybe not. Maybe maybe you're just like, woohoo, profit, let's go. So the next KPI we recommend is tracking your accounts receivable over 30 days, which means, I think, um, how many of your invoices are more than 30 days overdue? Yeah, I think you should know how many invoices and then obviously what's that total value. If it's 30 invoices at $1,000, that might tell you a different story than if it's three and it's $50,000. Yeah, or one and it's a hundred. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, which sucks. Yes. But but then you only have to chase one person down. Um, and here, then, like your KPI should be zero, is what you're aiming for. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Which which you have, you know, people can do something about. You can um, change the way you bill. You can do follow ups. You can take credit cards. Whatever you need to do. Yeah, you can just talk about money. I I, I do a whole thing where I'm like, we talk about this in lab a lot. Where I'm like, <laughs> just talk about money in the engagement process. Yeah. But that's another another story for another day. Definitely know this number, track it, and have a plan. What's What happens when someone hits 30 days? Do they get an email reminder from you? Do they get a call from from your accounting department if you don't have an accounting department? Or potentially when they hit 20 days, right? <laughs> right. I know, I know lots of uh, lawyers that I work with whose parents and siblings and all kinds of interesting people make up their accounting department. <laughs> but sometimes it's good to have someone other than you you know, make that call. So yeah, especially if it's the unpaid spouse who um, recognizes that if you don't collect these debts, then nobody 
um, nobody eats next yeah. week. <laughs> and in, in fact, if, you, if you're if you an insider, if you've gone to lawyers.com and joined our free insider community, in the insider library, we actually have a script that you can use when making those calls of how to frame the conversation with people and how to ask those questions. Oh, yeah. Cool. So let's cover one more um, before we take a break here. Um, cash on hand. Do we care about cash on hand because... What we're really trying to do is figure out, like, can we pay our bills next month? Yeah, can we pay our bills next month? And what happens if that one client who owes us $100,000 suddenly doesn't pay their invoice? You know, would the company come to a screeching halt? Because you could have it on pay, you know, paper. You'd look like you'd made a profit, right? Like, Or you'd be in a good position. Mm-hmm. But if they're not paying it, uh, more businesses fail due to cash crunches, I think, than in, I'm I don't have anything to back this up, but that's my understanding. <laughs> <laughs> well, but we we do know that like uh, a huge number of one of the more common bar complaints is due to improper use of trust funds. And if you don't have enough cash on hand, you're more tempted to borrow it from your client accounts, which I guess raises the important thing. When we talk about cash on hand, you don't get to count your client's money. Um, that, so this is your bank accounts. It does include your line of credit, um, your available credit on your credit cards, line of credit, whatever. Um but not secured debt. Right. And obviously, you know, it's going to vary widely by practice area. If you're in a Mm -hmm. contingency firm and you don't get paid very often, you know, I know some people who have, who might not only collect on a case once a year because they're working these huge federal, you know, all kinds of crazy cases, they obviously are going to need more operating cash, they're going to be, you know, in between payment cycles than someone who gets paid pretty regularly every month. So, I mean, the minimum should be a month of expenses. Yeah, three to, I mean, one to three months is what we recommend uh, for most people. But if you know that you have a, a little bit of a longer cycle, you might feel comfortable having more there. So let's take a quick break and then talk about the last two financial KPIs. Support for today's episode comes from Back Office Betty's, the only virtual receptionist company exclusively dedicated to small law firms that offers unlimited calls. Betty's Boutique Service boasts customized call handling and virtual assistant services provided by highly trained, relentlessly friendly team members ready to help grow your firm even when you're out of the office. Visit backofficebetty's.com slash lawyers to get a free one-week trial and use the promo code podcast to receive $150 off your first month of service. Support for today's episode comes from Rankings.io, a search engine optimization agency working exclusively for personal injury law firms. Simply put, Rankings.io helps personal injury law firms dominate first-page rankings. You'll never have to chase them for an update or hunt them down for an answer. Your clients expect you to be accessible, and Rankings will meet that standard for communication and transparency. You'll have a full team of SEO specialists fighting to put you at the top of Google search results. Personal injury lawyer SEO is all they do, so all their processes, playbooks, and people are completely focused on generating qualified cases for your firm. Best of all, you'll be one of an elite few. Delivering exceptional service and results requires focus, so Rankings.io carefully vets clients before accepting them. It's an ideal fit for growth-oriented personal injury law firms. To see if you're a fit, visit Rankings.io slash Lawyerist to get started. Lawyerist podcast listeners can get 20% off an SEO discovery audit using coupon code Lawyerist. Boost your productivity and save time typing with TextExpander. You can make your own snippets or share and manage snippets for your firm with TextExpander for Teams. You'll reduce errors and increase productivity. TextExpander can save you so much time, it's like getting an extra employee. TextExpander is available for Mac, Windows, iPhone, iPad, and Chrome. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. 
Visit TextExpander.com slash podcast to learn more and get your discount. Okay, we're back. So here's one that uh, I think Greg Crabtree also brought up that I hadn't really considered as an important KPI before, and it's labor percentage. What is that? What does that mean? All it really means is we're looking at your total labor costs, so your salaries, taxes, and benefits that you're paying your team, and looking at that as a percentage of revenue. Um, If you haven't picked up Greg's Crabtree's book, he does a great job in his book of of explaining this concept of a salary cap. Mm -hmm. And I think most people know that term from professional sports organizations. Yeah. (laughs) But he says, like, hey, that applies to your business because so many people struggle with um, salaries for most people are going to be one of, if not the most expensive part of your... For most firms, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah. And so... It's something that you need to pay attention to, and it's always people all often struggle and often ask me like, when should I hire that next person? You know, can I afford to hire somebody else? How much could I afford? Oh, this is where the salary cap comes in. Yeah, like, decide how much is reasonable and then go with. He that. gives a great formula in his book uh, that I don't have in front of me, but it's on my desk <laughs> that I ref- I reference it a lot. <laughs> Do you remember like what is a reasonable la- labor percentage? Uh, yeah, the percentage we're looking at is between thirty and thirty three percent of your total of your total revenue. revenue is what you're spending on your labor costs. And again, this would include the market rate you're paying yourself. Yeah, yeah, you are labor as well, um, but not your profit distributions. Correct. Which is where, um, you know, if you're paying yourself in entirely in draws. You need to decide how much of that is your reasonable compensation versus your profit distribution. So there's a little bit of math you may not be doing that you need to do in order to keep track of this number. Right. And again, has nothing to do with what your CPA told you to do for your taxes. This is so that you can understand your numbers and understand the health of your business. So then when it comes to that question of, can I hire, if your labor percentage is 50%, the answer is no. Um, if your labor percentage is 20%, the answer is might be a good idea or might be an okay idea. Absolutely. The other thing I think looking at this number really starts to highlight for you as a business owner is are you getting, you know, are you getting sufficient production out of your team? Sounds a little like a weird way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, no, but but that's like when, you know, in Clio's Legal Trends Report, when they dug into their numbers, one of the conclusions they came to is that efficiency is essentially the key to growth. You know, you, without it, you can't grow. And so your labor percentage, if it's 50% and your firm, your profit percentage is also low, like that's, you're not, in, you're not a healthy firm. Right. So the, then the challenge becomes, how can you do more with less? And um, Greg Crabtree talks about this in his book. And, and I've seen it with businesses too. You know, you know, you need more output it, you, you know, when you're hungry, when you're, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, what's the right word, like uh, scrappy, uh, you know, when you're, when you got to mm-hmm. work for it, you come up with real, that's where sometimes people push through and come up with really cool innovation of, oh, maybe I can automate this thing. I mean, it's so easy to just say, well, we need to hire someone else and have them do it. Right. But efficiency is not ours. Right. And sometimes <laughs> that's the answer. But sometimes yeah. there's other creative solutions or other ways to solve the problem. And I think looking at these numbers kind of forces you to, to to think about it and look a little bit, being a little bit more creative. So um, we have one more uh, that we wanted to cover, but uh, we've been talking a little bit about owner compensation. How do you figure out what it would cost to replace you? Since so many of the numbers we've talked about kind of hinge on having a good idea about what that is. Yeah. Most people have a general sense of what the market in their area is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you were to go apply for a job, what do you think 
your worth, obviously, like what people would actually pay you as part of that. Yeah. You may think you're worth a million dollars a year, but to somebody else. I mean, my guess is most lawyers are worth between 50 and 150 salary. Yeah, maybe. There could be. I mean, certainly I've seen higher, but um, yeah. Sure. I think that's like a probably a good place to start. And so looking at, um, you know, think about if, if you're a senior lawyer, you know, I mean, you could obviously do some market research, look at what people are advertising for, for jobs, for your, you know, for your level. You could ask other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a real benefit to being in a community of other business owners. Is it sharing this type of information? Like, hey, how much are you paying first-year attorneys or how much are 10th-year attorneys getting paid in smaller firms? Right. Because so much of the published information comes out from big firms, you know, because they'll just list it in the, <laughs> the newspaper. Right. Here's all the starting salaries. But that's not helpful at all if you're in a smaller practice because those numbers don't always um, equate. Now, I know my law school in the career services office, they collect this data and including smaller firms. And so they come up with a report every year that's available to anybody who asks them. And they've shared it with me before. And it's super helpful. You know, this is what we're seeing as the average starting salaries based on firm size. So you can see in your area, you know, if people have two to five attorneys, how much were they paying at least first years? Right. And keep in mind, like, when I say 50 to 150, that means your salary, I think, is probably going to be in that range. And obviously, 50 is on the very low end. And 150 may not be high enough for somebody who's a 20-year experienced, um, top of their field, you know, lawyer. But but that doesn't mean that that's your total package, right? If your business is healthy, you're also taking profit distributions, and hopefully your take-home is way more than that. But we're talking about what it takes to replace you as an employee here, so doesn't have to be perfect or exact. It just needs to be realistic so that we're trying to get to the truth of what your business's health is. So let's talk about the last KPI, which is realization rate. You and I have been talking about this a little bit lately and the fact that it's uh, it's hard to calculate because a lot of people calculate it differently. And so maybe talk about how to calculate it and what some of the variations are. Yeah, I think a lot of people use this term to mean a lot of different things. So from our point of view, we're talking about realization rate for collected fees. So we're looking at how many fees were invoiced for the period. So how much did you actually send out on your bills this month You know, to clients to have them pay you? And then how much did you collect as a percentage of that amount? And obviously... The goal here should be 100%, but we'd love to see you at least in you know 95% or more. Some people get a little bit more nuanced or complicated with it, and we'll also look at if you're billing by the hour, how many hours did you write down on timesheets, and then how much gets written off in that pre-bill stage. Because mm-hmm. that could be, you know, when I was still in practice, my partners and I had a, a rule. Everybody would review their own bills and, and write them down. And if anybody wanted to write down a bill over, I feel like 7 to 10%, they had to take it to another partner and get them to sign off. Sometimes you just undervalue yourself. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this took too long. And that, you know, and then the other person will look at it and be like, no, it didn't. That seems right. Mm-hmm. So that was a good rule for us, and it helped us kind of with that self-editing process and having another pair of eyes look at it. So obviously some people are tracking then, you know, how much are we writing down versus how much is going out, and then how much is going out versus how much is getting collected. Yeah, so the two ways to do it is you can, of the billable time that we expend, how much do we collect? Right. Or you can simplify it and just say, of what we invoice, how much do we collect? Right. Yeah. 
your realization rate is a it's a it's kind of an eye-opening thing i i think for a lot of firms because it's you know it's it's just sitting there it's a little hard to capture um from the outside but if you're using invoicing software you should be able to go and grab this for any particular time period yeah I feel like I'm about to get back on my little bit of a soapbox here because come kind of come back to that AR discussion. It just comes up again. So many people will tell me, uh, you know, one of the things, the benefits of flat fees and subscription services and all these alternative pricing structures is it significantly cuts down on the, I mean, your realization rate should go up because everyone knows what they owe and pays it and you're good. I have so many people just say, if I told people on the front end how much this was going to be, they wouldn't hire me. Mm. And I just want to say what a red Which flag that like, sounds like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. You know, my, my approach was completely the opposite because my practice dealt with suing debt collectors and defending people sued by debt collectors. And so the message that I would give to my clients is like, look, I'm never going to collect from you because that just feels totally inconsistent to me. Um, but the trade-off is I'm going to be paid up front and I'm going to be totally intolerable with not paying bills because... I'm going to do the one thing I can, which is withdraw, because I can't afford to put myself in a position where I might feel like I want to collect from you. And nobody complained about that. Everyone understood that um, because they were all already dealing with debt collectors, I suppose, it made it like, oh, yeah, no, I don't want to be right back here. Yeah. I think lawyers worry about how can I do a better job of collecting? How about promising never to collect and instead coming up with a way that you never have to? Right. And I would even take it a step further. I think so many people who bill by the hour, you know, we tell our clients, oh, I bill you $250 an hour. You'll get your invoice. And Mm -hmm. clients have no idea what that means. Mm -hmm. So you could have literally just sold them the equivalent of a a Porsche, I don't know, a Tesla, whatever the fancy car is. (laughs) And the client doesn't know that because they don't, you know, they don't know how this sausage is made. So all they hear was $250 an hour. And what we're afraid of is telling them, we're afraid to say, hey, you're about to buy a Tesla and the client being like, holy cow, I can't afford that. I'm going somewhere else. But so here's what happens, guys, uh, to just finish the story out. You tell them, I'm going to charge you $250 an hour, blah, blah, blah. You're good. You'll get a bill every month. You start building a Tesla and they have no ability to pay you ever. They could Mm -hmm. never afford a Tesla. It's so out of the realm of their possibility. So you're going to do all the work and you're going to, and then you're going to send them a bill and then you're going to be frustrated when they don't pay you. Whereas if we just had the conversation on the front end and said, Hey, you're looking at a Tesla and they freak out and you say, well, guess what? I've also got the Civic and it's pretty darn good. It doesn't include everything the Tesla does, but I can do this other thing for you. And would would that work? And we can set up a payment plan for the Civic and we can both go in knowing exactly what to expect. I now can only do a Civic's worth of work and everybody gets paid and and is happy and Mm -hmm. the client's happy. I don't want to buy a Tesla if I thought I was getting a Civic. Right. Preach. Um, (laughs) Do you you have a recommended time period that um, people should report this to themselves on? Is it weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually? I think monthly is good. Um, I know some people who look at it weekly. If that works for you, great. Um, For some people, you kind of mentioned this at the top of the the episode, like they get so into the weeds on KPIs, they spend so much time trying to track all this. And that's not what we want. You know, just like your dashboard, you look down and you get that feel for the health of your business. So start with these. You can always make it more complicated later. But the key is to start looking at them with some regularity so that you can then make decisions and pull levers and 
impact your business? The manner of, of logging them uh, can vary. You may one day soon find a convenient tool for helping you keep track of it. But uh, using a spreadsheet is okay too. In the spirit of not getting too into the weeds on this, one of the easy things that we do, and I can't remember if it was your idea or Aaron's, but we just color code them. Like we have a target range and when it's in the range, it's yellow. If it's better than the range, it's green. And if it's um, below the range, meaning crisis, you know, danger, Will Robinson do something about this, it turns red. And so you don't even need to process the numbers in your brain. You can just look for the red dot, the red boxes on the spreadsheet. So Yeah. So if you're wondering what Sam just said, we use a Google Sheet. It's real simple. And yep. we have conditional formatting set up so that as we report our numbers each week, the conditional formatting says if it's in this range, turn the box yellow. And it just does that. And we don't, you know, we set it one time and forget it. So it's really yep. helpful. Oh, and one of our labsters is like gaga over this innovation um, <laughs> as well, <laughs> because it just, it, it lets you get the information you need from your KPI spreadsheet so much faster. And it's true. It, it is actually a smart thing that we did. Right. So it communicates it. <laughs> so just get started with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've given you five that matter. Um, you can dial down if you need to, but I would recommend tracking these five for a while, seeing how they evolve over time, seeing if they throw up any alarm bells immediately that you can address and then work to improve them. And don't add more KPIs until it's clear that you really need more. Just keep it bite-sized and manageable. So I will list all the KPIs in the show notes, um, but they are also on page 311 of the Small Firm Roadmap. Stephanie, thanks so much for helping us get a quick win, I hope, for everyone on financial KPIs. Yeah, anytime. Are you interested in implementing the ideas you've heard on today's podcast into your law firm? Could you use a little help? Hey guys, it's Stephanie, the VP of Community Success here at Lawyers, and I'd love to help you tackle your business or take it to the next level. Head over to go.lawyerist.com backslash start to sign up for a quick call with me, and let's talk about how Lawyerist can help you create your best law firm. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The Lawyerist Podcast is edited by Paul Fisher. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.